what are we doing here on Christmas Day? Some people actually wonder, like, what are you, what are you, why are you having church on Christmas Day? It's interesting. Um, obviously, if, if you haven't been paying attention, you don't know this, but there are a number of churches that uh, when there are cultural holidays that are significantly observed, um, they'll oftentimes uh, cancel the Sunday service that might interfere with that. And they do so for a variety of reasons, and oftentimes they have good motives in, in doing that. Um, but just to make it very clear here, the, the reason we're worshiping today on Christmas Day, uh, there, there are two reasons. One is because God calls us to do this, and the other is we need it. Those are the two reasons. God calls us to worship on the Lord's Day. We call it Sunday, but it is the Lord's Day, the day of the week in which Jesus was raised from the dead. And the church ever since has been gathering on that day under the word of God and under the sacraments. We don't follow a complex church calendar, particularly as Baptists. Uh, we have one holy day. We have one holy day, and it's every week. And so it's a priority for us. We worship. Not everybody can make it, and that's okay, but our church gathers on the Lord's Day. That's why. But then there's a secondary reason, too, and that is we need it. You need it. I need it. We need the grace and the mercy of God particularly as it is found in the gospel, revealed in, in scripture, uh, in, in the gathering of, of God's people, there is grace to be experienced and we need it. In fact, it was made by, a point was made by a few people on social media this week. While all of these churches are canceling uh, Sunday services so that families can have nice, warm, quiet fellowships together in their homes, it leaves a lot of people completely isolated who have no family but the church who have no gathering in which they can find rest but in the assembly of the saints. That's why we worship. So let's celebrate Christmas by opening our Bibles to Lamentations. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3. That's how we do it. Oh, what's your Christmas? Well, Lamentations. Lamentations. If you're, if, you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Lamentations is what it sounds like. It's a book of lament. It's a book of sorrow. It's a book that breathes with grief. It's a mourning book. Why are we looking in the book of Lamentations? It's because in the, the book of Lamentations, we find this principle. We're going to find this principle in the passage we're going to look at as well. And we certainly find it in Christmas. The principle is this, the God of mercy gives hope to the hurting. The God of mercy gives hope to the hurting. So Lamentations is essentially Jeremiah, he was a prophet, Jeremiah's lament over Jerusalem. In, in 587 BC, uh, Babylon came in and destroyed the southern kingdom of Israel. Jerusalem destroyed, the temple destroyed. This is where people worship. This is where sacrifices and offerings were made. This is where Israel had its identity grounded in Jerusalem. And Babylon came in and destroyed it. And the reason God allowed Babylon to do this is, is because Israel had, the people had grown lax in their 
obedience to God, they had begun to go after idols. The leadership of Israel had become corrupt. And in order to show them their desperate need for God and his mercy, he allowed the Babylonians to come in and to sack them, not only destroy their home, but take many of them, much of them, into captivity into a foreign land. So there were a few, like Jeremiah, who were there calling people to repent, to cry out for God's mercy. Jeremiah was crying out for mercy in the midst of darkest, the darkest of days. Days when his very world and culture seemed to be crumbling to pieces. Days in which the need for mercy was more evident than ever. Now why does this fit us or suit us at Christmas time? Because the birth of Christ is the greatest breaking forth of light in the darkness of all times. Think, think about it for a moment. Uh, when, when, when Jesus was born, God hadn't spoken to Israel in over 400 years. 400 years of silence. They had the Bible, right? They had the, the old, what we call the Old Testament. They had the revelation of God, but there hadn't been a prophet to speak, to call for 400 years. And finally, light breaks forth in the darkness of this divine silence, and Jesus, the Son of God, is born. Not only is it the first time that God had spoken in 400 years, this is the clearest, the loudest that God has ever spoken. With the birth of Christ, the promises have been fulfilled, the promises that God had been making to Israel for thousands of years. Salvation arrived. God is with his people in the flesh. But that's light breaking forth in darkness where there's real need. And today, on Christmas Day, well, it doesn't matter how many lights we string up or how bright the star is on top of our tree. The day is dark for many people. Many of you know loss and affliction and suffering. You, you know this, which sort of begs for the need of hope, mercy. The light that we see in Christ, the light that we have in the gospel is put on display this Christmas to help us dispel the darkness that we're all experiencing. Let's, let's not uh, pretend that as bright and warm and beautiful as your Christmas day will be for many of you, not all of you. The darkness is just outside the periphery of your door. Where is our hope? Listen to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
We thank you for your word and we thank you for this day. We thank you for Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the day of the week you've set aside for us to worship you together in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for Christmas. Lord, we know it's not a, something in the Bible. You don't command us to observe Christmas, but another opportunity for us to marvel at the incarnation, at your son, our Lord. What a beautiful gift. We pray that today honors you and is a blessing to all. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole passage, these verses, is fundamentally about hope. It's that last refrain in verse 24, therefore I will hope in him. Everything that he says before that builds up to this. It's the ground of that therefore, right? Therefore I will hope in him. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to do this briefly here. I want us to consider the grace of hope, like what it is. Then I want us to consider the ground of hope, that is where it comes from in the gospel of hope, how it relates to Jesus. That's what we're doing for Christmas. First of all, the grace of hope. Therefore, I will hope in him. What is hope? Now, we, we use the word in a couple of different ways, right? Oftentimes, it means wish. I hope it doesn't snow. Everybody was freaking out. We're going to have another snowpocalypse. Just in time for Christmas, it's going to be awful. And we had it pretty easy. We all hoped it, well, maybe not we all. I was hoping, because it's stressful, especially with Sunday coming up, uh, I don't want to be dealing with snow. So I was hoping, hoping it wouldn't snow. It's just a wish. It doesn't really have any weight to it, nothing, no meaning. But there's another sense in which we talk about hope, we feel the need for hope, in which it really is an elevation of the soul. It is a strengthening of the heart. There is a hope that is significant and deep and profound, not a wish. Biblical hope, when the Bible talks about hope, it usually refers to some kind of assured, some kind of assured anticipation, right? So there is a confidence to it. There is an eager expectation of a promise of God to be kept or fulfilled, right? It is the, it is the assured anticipation of divine help. So it is a, it is a confidence that is accompanied by a comfort that is grounded not in our circumstances, but in the God who reigns over them. Hope is a steady kind of trust. Right? I will hope in God. Right? Therefore, I will hope in him. It means I will trust him. I will take him at his word. It means though my world is shaking, and maybe I am even shaking, my faith holds secure because it's anchored in the one that doesn't shake. It's that kind of confidence. It's that kind of trust. This hope is a it is a patient joy. It's a patient joy. And because it, it's not grounded in our circumstances, it's grounded in, in what God has said he will do and who he is, it allows us to, in a sense, be elevated above our circumstances, not to ignore them, but to endure them, to consider our, moment, our, our momentary afflictions as more light than many others in the world would experience them because we have this confidence in God. Hope is an assured anticipation of divine help. It's the easiest way to think about it. It's a confidence, it's a courage, it's a comfort, it's a joy. But who needs it? Who needs hope? It's easy to say we all need it, but let's actually break it down. As I was thinking about it this week, 
The people who need hope, the people who know that they need hope, are the doubting and the hurting and the fearful and the failing. Now, that will hit all of us. Now, people experience a lot. People are going through a lot. People in this congregation, so many people here have lost loved ones, even this holiday season. And it's been hard. A lot of you have been mourning and grieving significant loss. Some of you have been mourning and grieving a shaking of your faith. Like when we doubt, right? We need hope when we doubt, when we're questioning, when we're questioning what God has said. Can I really believe this? Do I really trust this book, this ancient book? Um, have I understood it correctly? And we begin to doubt, we begin to question. And this has been something that we as the people of God have been wrestling with from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the serpent is telling Eve, like, did God really say? Tempting her to question what God has already clearly said to her. That wasn't a problem for Eve, that was a problem for all of us. We tend to doubt. Even when our faith is strong, it isn't perfect. And sometimes we question. Sometimes our, our faith is shaken because of circumstances or difficulties that we've brought upon ourselves. Sometimes we're just hurting. Sometimes we are weakened in our soul because we are bearing affliction and pain, whether that be mental or psychological or physical or circumstantial. When you are in pain, it is easy to despair and to want to give up. We lose hope when we're hurting. Or maybe you're just afraid, right? You look at your life and you are afraid while everyone else is at least pretending that 2023 is going to be amazing. It's going to be so much better. Some of you are looking at 2023 and you are genuinely terrified because you don't know what's going to happen. And I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in your life. You don't know where you're going to be. And some of you, it's, you need hope because you you are really confronted with your own failure. We all fail. I can, I can look back at, at every week of this past year and see that I have failed. And, and you're failing, right, which is common to us all. Our failing can be discouraging, so much so that we wonder, will I ever change? Am I going to ever become the person I want to be that God's called me to be? These are the people that need help, that need hope. The doubting, the hurting, the fearful, and the failing. People like Jeremiah. People like me. People like you. Now, Jeremiah has learned it, right? This is why I love reading uh, the scripture, because we see real people, real men and women, that have struggles and then have victories. These are people who fail, right, and then are rebuilt by God. And here we have Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, whose life, whose culture, whose friends, everything is falling apart if he hasn't been betrayed and abandoned. He has, uh, he has been left by his own, on his own, without any real support. And he says, therefore, I will hope in him. So Jeremiah, in the midst of his world crumbling, in the midst of living in darkness, says, I will have confidence, comfort, patience, and joy. I will have this kind of hope. How? The ground of our hope. The ground of our hope is found in God himself. Therefore, I will hope in him. How do we get this? 
It's the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. His mercies that never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Those are the reasons in which he will hope in God. And these are the reasons we can hope in God as well. The first reason is given is God's love in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Love. God's love here is, it is his faithfulness and his affection, right? It's not just faithfulness, but it's, it's, it's covenant faithfulness and affection. God has a love for his people. And make no mistake about it, God doesn't love like you and me. God's love is much bigger. God doesn't have emotions. He doesn't have affections like we do. Ours are subject to change. Ours come and go. The best theologians that I like say that God doesn't have affections like we do. He has perfections. Whereas we have love, God is love. Where we show mercy, God is mercy. All that is in God is God. And so when we learn that God loves us, that, that God that, that God has a perfect, eternal, unending love for us. It is life-giving. Because this is what love does, right? To know that you're loved, to, to, to know that you are loved by somebody, what does that do? It gives you life. It fills you up. It makes you strong. You, you can go to war. You can endure all kinds to know that you are loved by somebody and God loves us. His love is steadfast, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And, and listen to how it's described in Psalm 36, verse five. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So in other words, it's like, how, how do I describe God's love? How big is it? Well, it's big. Okay, but how big? Is there, can you quantify it? I can't really quantify it. Can you give me a mental picture? Sure. God's love is so big, it literally fills the atmosphere and the universe. Look all the way up into the heavens, as far as you can see. Break out the Hubble. Look at all these telescopes. As far as you can see, God's love for you fills all of that space. That's how big God's love is for us. To know that we are loved by God, therefore we will hope. Because he does not forget us. His love does not waver. He does not grow weary. His love does not wear thin. God is not like us, so we can have hope. And it's not just God's love, it's also God's mercies, right? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every day morning. God's mercies, God's mercies are his compassionate acts of kindness towards us. Compassion is, uh, is a word that's not used a lot by, uh, by many popular Christians on social media, uh, even less demonstrated by some of these friends of mine. Um, and I'm not the greatest example either. I'm not holding myself up. But compassion, compassion is at the heart, at the heart of God. He is a compassionate God. 
meaning that he actually cares. Right? He cares about people. He shows kindness out of this compassion and provision when it is undeserved. Right? That's the thing. I've seen a lot of Christians be, lack a whole lot of compassion towards people. Well, because they're, they're sinful people, as if we aren't. Or, well, okay, but their sins are so much worse than ours, as if that were true. It's, it's like, well, it, I, I don't want to show compassion because I don't want to say, tell them it's okay for them to continue in sin. You shouldn't. But to show compassion to somebody is to demonstrably care for them, to understand them in their weakness, in their frailty, to not overlook their crimes or their sins, but to look through those crimes and sins to see the person who needs help and restoration and redemption. See, God is merciful towards us. He provides for us. He cares. He is involved. Think of every good gift in your life that you did not deserve. Think of every time. Can you? you, You can't think of every time. But I would encourage you to think of how many times you can identify in your life where God surprisingly showed you mercy when he rescued you, saved you, preserved you, provided for you again and again and again. He is a God of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. God's well never runs dry. Therefore, I will hope because he loves me and he is merciful toward me. Number three, the ground of our hope is God's faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Faith, when, you, when I think about somebody being faithful, I think of them being loyal. Does that make sense? Like I know like some, maybe you think that way. And I, think, I don't like thinking of God being loyal. Dogs are loyal, okay? I like that. Friends are loyal. Employees can be loyal. Well, I, I, a spouse can be loyal. Like I can, but there seems to be some sort of obligation or duty towards the other person. And loyalty feels weird when I think about it with God. But it's better to think that God is loyal to himself and to say that he is faithful really means that he is trustworthy. It means that that he does not lie. He is faithful, loyal to himself. He he cannot say that he will and then not. God is faithful. He is good. He is trustworthy. When he promises us something, it is guaranteed to come to us. In Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So one of my favorite expressions of who God is. He uses it of himself in, in Exodus, and then it's repeated in a few places throughout the Old Testament. This is our God, and he is the ground of our hope. He is faithful. So every promise that he has given us, every promise that he has made to us in Scripture is guaranteed to come to pass. Therefore, I can hope. And then finally, God's inheritance is another ground of our hope. Back to verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion. That's an expression that uh, indicates like inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. 
See, a lot of people get this idea like, oh yeah, we're go- we inherit the treasures in heaven. You know, we think like, what's my inheritance gonna be like? It's gonna be awesome. You know, we used to sing songs in the 90s about this big, big house that has many, many rooms that God's going to have us all. And that's biblical, right? I mean, that's the expression that Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. He's making a place for you. Like, let's, let's go. And it's a picture, right, of provision, of care, of family. That's what it is. It's not a, you're, you're, you're not going to live in some, well, if it's not a duplex, what? It's a multiplex, I guess, at that point, right? <laughs> That's a whole lot of apartment living for me. I'll pass, to be honest. I'll give me a tent in the new creation any day. We think like, oh, well, it's going to be the things, right? We think like, oh, heaven, and that, that, that's my thing. Like, oh, I think like new heavens, new earth. That's what a gift, right? Yeah, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, hanging out with all of our friends, fellowship, perfect, food, work, pleasure, just paradise, sun, stars, rain, beaches, forests, mountains. But that's not the inheritance. God is the inheritance. I mean, we get all of that stuff. That's all a part of it, right? It, it, it's all a part of the eternal state. But the great gift, the best gift that God could ever give, the wonder of it all is that he gives us something that we couldn't imagine. The greatest thing that God could give is himself, and that's what he gives to us. The Lord is my portion. My soul knows it, therefore I will hope. God can't give me anything greater than that because he's given me himself. Therefore I will trust. So, Jeremiah has this Hope, it is grounded in God's love, mercy, faithfulness, and this inheritance in God himself. And ultimately, we see this most clearly in Jesus, which is the gospel of hope. In Jesus, we have all of this. In Jesus, we see the depth of the love of God. God's love is shown to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, I know some of you are struggling with your faith because you, you know, there's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole host of, of, of issues that come with the Christian faith, right? The way it's been packaged and delivered to you um, in your own lifetime, or the way it's been represented for generations in particular traditions, right? There are certain elements of the faith that are harder to understand and accept than others. I, I understand. I, I get it. We all struggle with the faith in different ways at different times, but you... You can know this, that the love of God is most clearly seen in the death of Jesus Christ for sinners. That God loves you enough, so much, a love that fills the expanse, that God loves you that much that he and the Son partner together to redeem your soul, that you would be fitted for eternity with your maker. God's love is seen in Jesus. God's mercy is seen in Jesus. Where we don't get what we should, right, which is judgment and punishment, he withholds that and instead gives us what we need, what we don't deserve, what we don't earn. He gives it to us, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He gives us himself. We see God's faithfulness in the gospel. 
right, God? Jesus was faithful to keep all of God's commands. Jesus was faithful to pray for us. Jesus was faithful to save us, faithful to all of the promises. And now we know that once we're connected to Christ, that if we confess our sins, John tells us, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the gift, right? He is the gift that we so desperately need. I mean, every, every good gift in your life is a gift from God the Father. I hope you understand that. Every good thing in your life is a gift from the hand of God who cares. And it should be received with gratitude and thankfulness, giving much praise to God. That should be a part of it. But the greatest gift that God has ever given us is his son. He gives us Christ to give us life. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read this a lot at Christmas time. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of his David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is the gift. And you don't need to be embarrassed about if you're doing Christmas today. You you don't need to be embarrassed about giving gifts. The reason we give gifts, the reason gift giving is, is such an important part of the Christmas tradition is because God is the giver of good gifts. And the greatest gift that he gave us is his son, Jesus And so what do we do as the children of God? We imitate our Father. We give gifts. We give gifts to undeserving little kids (laughs) whom we love in ways that we can barely express. We give gifts to each other because we love each other, not because the people deserve them. We want to be generous and kind like our Father, and in all this we are pointing people back to the son, the son who was born 2,000 years ago. The, the apostle Paul describes the son this way in Colossians chapter one. Here is our Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus was born to die. And he died to be raised. And he was raised to give life to all who believe. So let's look to him together. Let's trust him 
Let's find the hope that we need in a dark and confusing world, even when the darkness is a little bit brighter because of common grace, like a day called Christmas. But we need a hope that extends into those other days, or maybe today is the darker day for you. Maybe the day itself doesn't afford you much relief. Maybe things are more intense. So let's look to the God who gives hope to the hurting. Father in heaven, we pray that you would lift our countenance, that you would give us a joy that the world cannot take away, that you would strengthen our faith, or that we would have a peace that surpasses comprehension. And we pray, God, that as we as we seek you together, as we continue to worship, as we go home to our, our families, if we have that opportunity, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you are honored and glorified and that we are built up. In Christ's name, amen.